Let me begin uh, by reminding you of the movie Spider-Man. Now they've made, I don't know, 20 of them since the first Tobey Maguire one. That's the real one, right? Tobey Maguire, he's kind of a, a nerdy kid, and he goes on a high school field trip at a museum, and a spider drops down his shirt and bites him. And uh, that night he gets really sick and he's sweaty and he goes to bed tired. And then he wakes up the next morning and he looks in the mirror and he's like, built. Ryan Durking, nothing compared to this guy, right? He's cut, he's built. And um, he's like, where did this come from? And then he, he realizes on his wrist there's this little bump and he pushes it, and spider webs come out. And then he realizes he can, you know, swing from the ceiling, and he's got these superhuman abilities. And it's kind of a, a, a cool thing to see Spider-Man discover his superhuman skills. Okay? Now, with these spiritual gifts, I want everyone to experience the joy of discovering not your superhuman abilities, but your supernatural gifts that God has given you. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God, one of the three persons of the Trinity, actually takes up residence inside of you And one way you know God is real is he gives you an ability or several abilities, but they're not yours. They're the church's. God gives you abilities and gifts for the purpose of serving the church. And here's what's what's cool about it. Um. When you are serving with your gift in the power of the Spirit, you feel the pleasure of God. In fact, somebody just this morning asked me, um, Pastor, I hope you you never get tired of preaching. And it was a a compliment. Um, And I said, it's work. Sometimes it's hard. But when I am using my gift in the power of the Spirit to build up the church and encourage you, there is a joy from the Lord that's inexpressible. How do you know God is real? One way to know, I mean, there's a bunch of ways to know, but one way to know is you experience His joy when you discover your gifts and you use them to serve in the body of Christ. Right? That's what I, I pray would happen for everybody here. Now, I don't want to oversell this like, oh, it's going to be wonderful and there's never any problems and you're just... A... No, a lot of times it's hard work. It's hard work. But there is a joy that comes from knowing God has given you a gift, you discovering that gift, and you serving in the power of that gift. So, um, we've already covered a number of gifts. We've looked at teaching and evangelism and discernment and wisdom and knowledge. And today, I'm going to cover five more gifts. 
Now, here's the, the interesting thing about each of these gifts. Um, while each of these gifts is an individual gift that God gives to certain people and not to others, all of these five are also general responsibilities that all of us have. For example, the first gift, mercy. The gift of passing on to others the mercy you've experienced from God. That is a gift that certain people excel at, but let's not forget that it's a general responsibility that every single one of us has. Jesus says in Luke 6, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, those with the gift of mercy excel with that gift. They excel in showing mercy to others. But it is also a gift that all of us are responsible, or a a responsibility that all of us are responsible to exercise. Jesus teaches this in the parable of the unmerciful servant. Remember the story? There's a, a king who calls in one of his servants and he says, let's see, I was just checking my books here, and you owe me 10,000 talents. Now, don't confuse that with $10,000. If you do the math and convert it into today's money, it's about $6 billion. Okay, just an astronomical amount of money for one person to owe to another. Now, in the analogy, what's going on here? That's the debt that you owe a holy God because of your sin. We have all sinned. Now, because of our depravity, we may not feel like we're that bad. The truth is, when Scripture shines the spotlight on you to reveal how much you've sinned, you're a $6 billion sinner in debt. All right? Apart from Christ, if you stand before God on Judgment Day and you don't have a Savior, if you don't have Christ as your Savior, you will be condemned because of your sin and you deserve to go to hell. It's hard to hear that these days. You never hear people talking about heaven and hell on Judgment Day. But you as a sinner, apart from Christ, will go to hell. You are $6 billion in debt. So the servant in Jesus' story falls on his knees and he pleads with the king, please be merciful to me. And the king forgives him his debt. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, let me explain something. This is not just, oh, don't worry about it. For the king... To forgive him the $6 billion, who took the loss? Who had to pay $6 billion? The king. There's the cross. In this parable, there's the cross. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin. He paid the $6 billion debt as our substitute. Okay? Now, Here's what happens then. The guy goes out and he's whistling and he's happy and he comes across a co-servant, a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. 
Now, again, people read that and they go, 100 bucks. No. Do the conversion into modern money. That's about $12,000. So here's the picture. You have been forgiven $6 billion at the cross. Somebody in your family, maybe in the church, maybe at work, hurts you. Not just a little bit, but $12,000 worth. That's a, that's a major hurt, right? Now, you would expect the guy who's just been forgiven $6 billion to say, okay, I'm going to let this go. And the, the, the second servant, he falls to his knees and he pleads, please forgive me, have mercy on me. And the guy refuses to have mercy. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And he has him thrown into jail. Now, the king hears about this. The master hears about this. And it says this, And in anger, his master delivered him, the first guy, to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a picture of the person being sent to hell. Now you say, oh, so you have to earn God's salvation by forgiving others. No, no, no. You are not saved by what you do. But if you're saved, if you understand how much you've been forgiven, then you will forgive others. That's the point here. The fact that he was not merciful moments after he was forgiven shows he didn't get it. He wasn't truly saved. Point, all of us should be different than the rest of the world. While the rest of the world is doggy dog and bitter and I'm going to hold this against you and I'm going to hold that against you, We are to be merciful and forgiving. Now, um, it's easy to let that go. It's easy to forget about uh, passing on forgiveness. Um, Elizabeth and I, earlier in the summer, we went and dropped Caleb off up in Wisconsin, up in the deep, dark woods of the northern woods of Wisconsin, just dropped him off for the bears. He he went to a, a camp, okay? And as we're coming home, um, this was before we got on the big highway, but it was just the the back roads, uh, woodsy road, but it was wide open. And we were clipping along, I should say, I was clipping along at a pretty good speed. And before long, I look in the rearview mirror, and there's the state trooper pulls me over. And have you ever had that happen where you don't even want to look at how fast you're going because you know... You're like, I am going really fast here. So I pull over, and I expect, I expect Travis to get out of the car. It's this skinny little woman. She has her hat and her, her uniform. I, like the gun was as big as her, her leg. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be like $300. So she goes up to Elizabeth's side of the car. Elizabeth rolls down the window, and she starts crying. Uh, We just dropped our baby off in the woods. And the the trooper, she says, I have a baby too. And they start crying together. (laughs) 
Now, our baby's 19, but, you know, go with it. It works, right? (laughs) So they have a good cry together, and uh, the trooper says, I'm just going to give you a warning. I'm like, yes! (laughs) So thank you very much. We'll be going. No, she has to talk about her baby, and she's going through a divorce, and this happened, and that happened, and I'm looking at my, I'm starting to get mad now. So then we were talking about the mosquitoes in Wisconsin, right? Trooper leaves, gets in her car, 10 minutes, comes back. I go, what? She's got a can of trooper strength bug spray that she recommends that we use. I'm like, thank you, but I got to go. I'm starting to get mad. And then I remind myself, wait a minute. (laughs) A minute ago, I was caught dead to right. I should be paying $300. She's going to let us off. And I'm a little upset because it takes 10 minutes longer. See how quickly we go from grace to justice. Okay? Um, Now, we all have a responsibility to be merciful. Those with the gift of mercy, though... It seems like they have the mercy they've been shown on the forefront of their mind all the time. Therefore, they are able to extend mercy in abundance. Now, it's not just in forgiving. That's not the only way you show mercy. A lot of times you can show mercy through giving to others. You know, in um, this church alone, I've seen people give other people who are in need nice cars. I've seen people open their homes and say, you can stay here as long as you want. I've seen people pay for other people's college education. That's the gift of mercy. It all comes from remembering how merciful God has been to you and then you pass it on to others. It's a responsibility, but also a gift. Do you have the gift of mercy? Now, somewhat related to the gift of mercy, the gift of encouragement or encouraging, uh, that's found in Romans 12, simply the gift of being able to encourage others. Again, both a specific gift that certain people excel at and a general responsibility. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. There's the general responsibility to encourage one another, to build one another up. Now, a great way to do that is with our words. In fact, Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. That's the word encourage. Okay, what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. What would the definition of unwholesome be in this context? Things that tear people down. Negative, critical words. We are commanded, all of us, to be encouraging. Okay, now... Um, encouragement, though, is not just what you say. 
It's who you are. Because there can be discouraging negative people who've learned to say encouraging things, but their demeanor drags you down. So let me, let me ask you this. On the scale of you being a critical, judgmental person, on the other side, an encouraging, supportive person, where do you lean? We're all commanded to move toward this side of the scale. Okay? In fact, um, in 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, this is the, cha- the if you really want to study spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. Right in the middle is the chapter on love. Now, this gets read at all the weddings. It's really not about romantic love. It's about spiritual gifts. And it says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. And I'm going to take you down to verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Now, what does that mean? Well, the ESV study note says this, love believes the best about others and hopes the best for them. Now, those who lean more toward this side of the scale, there's something going on inside of you right now. You're going, wait a minute. If I believe the best about people, that's gullible. They're going to take advantage of me. Some people, they've, they've, they've blown it enough, enough times that I don't trust them. I'm not going to believe the best about them. I'm not going to uh, have a positive, hopeful attitude toward them. Where is there room for accountability? Where is there room for consequences? Where is there room for discipline? And I would just simply say this. There's a place for all of those, but those things can be done in an encouraging way. Okay? Now, the gift of encouragement is the person who has mastered, and not only in words, but in personality and in disposition, the gift of building others up. Now, let me say this. You go, okay, I think I have that gift. Where do I sign up for the encouragement ministry? There's no encouragement ministry. There's no mercy ministry. What you're going to find is with a lot of these gifts, they're discovered and developed in community. In other words... You need to lock in. This this is why being a part of a local church, you can't just float out there. You need to lock in to a group of people. And you need to commit to love them. And that's where you discover your gifts. That's where you exercise your gifts. So I I don't want to say, you should be in a small group. You should be in a ministry. I I don't want to guilt anybody into it. But I, I would hope that Christ in you and the Holy Spirit in you would say, yeah, I have these gifts, but I have nowhere to exercise them. Oh, I see. I need to become part of a community. So we've got five small groups. We have our Wednesday night in the, in the fall coming up. We have ministries that you can serve on. Um, and it's not an encouragement ministry or a mercy ministry. 
uh, or a discernment ministry. But in the context of community, that's where these gifts surface. Okay, let me move on to the gift of helping, or some versions say serving. Um, The gift of using any gift, talent, or ability that one may have to further God's kingdom. You know, really, helping is a gift? Right here in uh, gift of battery. Whoop. Hey, T, can you move over a little bit here? There we go. All right. There we go. All right. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping. Look at that. Just helping is a gift. So let me ask you a question. Are these spiritual gifts? Playing bass guitar, being a computer whiz, being a greeter, setting up or tearing down. Are those spiritual gifts? Well, they're not listed in the Bible. But if there's a need in the church and... You go, I can, I can set things up. I can help tear down. I can greet people. Then guess what? Those needs in the church and your willingness to serve there becomes a spiritual gift. Now, I would say that quite possibly the greatest percentage of spiritual gifts that God distributes to people in a church are the gifts of helping and serving. So some people go, I I don't think God gave me a spiritual gift. I don't teach. I don't prophesy. I don't do miracles. I don't have a spiritual gift. Can you hand out a bulletin with a smile? Can you set up coffee? Then you may have the gift of serving. Now, you say, well, I don't think handing out coffee is as important as the others. Yeah, sure. some of you who are fighting sleep right now are like, I could use some coffee and it'd be really important. Yeah. Matthew 10, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, replace of hot caffeine, right? because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. If you make coffee and set up the table and hand out bulletins and arrange chairs and pull the trailer, though we don't have to do that anymore, and you're doing it to serve the disciples, you will not lose your reward. I hope you find that encouraging. Okay? Now, word of caution. What, what spiritual gifts require us to do is specialize. Find your gift. You can push specialization too far. Well, I don't have the gift of helps, so I don't have to help. Right? There's a time to specialize, and then there's a time for everybody just to pitch in. Um, I was looking in the book of Nehemiah, and in Nehemiah chapter 3, Israel has been in captivity, and they're allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And every family is assigned a section of the wall to build. They, I don't have the gift of masonry. Now, grab a brick. 
right? And then in chapter 4, Israel's being attacked, so they have to divide half of the people into bricklayers and the other half into spearholders. So here's your two gift options. Build the wall or hold the spear. That's it. But I don't have that. Hey, there's a time when you specialize. There's another time when you go, there's a need. I really need to, to jump in. Okay? Again, uh, these are gifts, yet general responsibilities. All right, let me move on to number four, the gift of faith. The gift of trusting God with extraordinary confidence to move in a specific way. Now again, this is a general... Every, every Christian, you're saved by faith. You live by faith. Romans 14, 23, For whatever does not proceed from faith is a sin. But what this is talking about is a more specific movement of God where he gives you strong confidence that he's going to move in a certain way. Now, this is kind of a controversial verse, and I'm not sure I have it nailed perfectly. But I think this is an illustration of the gift of faith. It says when somebody is gravely ill, call the elders. And the elders are to come, and it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, um, there are many times when the elders are called to pray, and they pray, and I don't, you know, I pray. And sometimes the Lord chooses to heal miraculously. Other times it's more slow. Uh, Other times, uh, not so much, okay? But there are times when praying for a person that God gives you just confidence that that person is going to be healed. I think that's a taste of what the gift of faith is. Now, there's a difference between this and the name-it-claim-it heresy that you see on TV. The name-it-claim-it heresy is this. You come up with whatever you want, whatever you want. You want a car, you want a million dollars, and then you build up your faith, and then God's obligated to give it to you. That's heresy, okay? Here, the gift of faith, it's God who gives you that strong conviction. It's not prophecy. It's not some new revelation. It's just a strong confidence that he's going to move. Probably the greatest example of modern day, uh, the gift of faith, is a guy named George Mueller. Uh, Mueller lived in the 1800s in England, and he believed that, that God wanted him to build orphanages and take care of orphans. And he never asked for money. He just prayed. And let me just read this. Greatest of all Mueller's undertakings was the erection and maintenance of the great orphanages at Bristol. He began the undertaking with only two shillings or 50 cents in his pocket. But in answer to prayer and without making his needs known to human beings, he received the means necessary to erect the great buildings and to feed the orphans day by day for 60 years without making his wants known to any man but to God alone over a million four hundred thousand pounds. Now, translate that into uh, modern day, uh, and, and this is, I think, $1,800s money, $7 million, so today I don't know how much that would be, were sent to him for the building and maintaining of these orphan homes. In all that time, the children did not have to go without a meal, 
And Mr. Mueller said that if they ever had to go without a meal, he would take it as evidence that the Lord did not will the work to continue. Sometimes the mealtime was almost at hand and they did not know where the food would come from, but the Lord always sent it in due time during the 20,000 or more days that Mr. Mueller had charge of the homes. He just believed that God wanted him to do this. He prayed. God provided, sometimes in miraculous ways, the gift of faith. Okay? Then, um, last one, gift of giving. Okay? Gift of contributing financial resources liberally. Remember, this is both a gift and a general responsibility. So don't go, oh, whew, don't have the gift of giving. Right? In fact, let's just go over this. 1 Corinthians 16.2. 16, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul was going to have a special offering uh, to take a missionary journey. And he says, rather than waiting until I come, I want you to do this in a disciplined weekly manner. Okay? Let me point out three words or three phrases. The first one is uh, each. Everybody, this is everybody is to participate in giving. You should even be teaching your kids that when they get their allowance, a certain percentage of it goes to the Lord. You're training them that each is responsible to give. Um, on the first day of every week, now I'm not going to push this too hard, but that would be Sunday. You're to give a portion of what you've made. Okay, I would encourage you to think about this, that when you give weekly, it se- and you say, well, I only get paid every other week. Well, you write checks for other things weekly, even though you get paid every other week. It, it, it gives you the discipline of being on a regular schedule. It, um, it helps you not to forget, and it's a part of worship. So when you come, you can bring every week your offering. And this is just a side benefit. It helps the church to plan. When we have regular weekly giving, we can kind of forecast uh, what the budget is. Okay? So that would be helpful there. So you go, um, well, I don't know how much I should give. Well, here we get into each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. As he may pr- prosper. Um, NIV says, in keeping with his income, you're to give proportionally. Okay? Now, a lot of Christians tithe 10%. Okay? Now, um, you go, 10%? Yeah, 10%. There's two teachings on this. One, they point to the Old Testament verses and say the Israelites were commanded to tithe, you are commanded to tithe. Uh, Others say, nope, we're no longer under those laws. Um, God has removed the tithe. But then every preacher I've ever heard has followed that up by saying, he's taken the cap off so you're not restricted to tithing. Right? So let's say you make 100,000. 10% would be, carry the one coefficient, what is it? Debbie? Debbie? 
Oh, okay. $10,000, right? Then you go, let's see, there's 52 weeks, 10,000 divided by 52, $192, round up. It's 200 a week. You go, 200 a week? Either you tithe or you don't, right? That's, and you're not paying for the show. This isn't the $200 show you're paying for, right? So, and it's not like if you're on vacation. So what you do is you go, God has given me $100,000. Out of love and worship for him, I'm going to give him 10%. I'm going to do it weekly. And that would be X amount, okay? And when I miss... I make up. In fact, how about this? If God has convicted you to give that amount, how about you take a look at 2014 and you say, have I done that? If not, I'll catch up. Ooh, that's bold. All right. Um, Now, you go, wow, 10%. It's a start. But then there's the gift of giving, which is giving above and beyond. 10%. Okay? It's the gift of giving in extremely generous proportions. Here's Zacchaeus, little tax collector, his embezzled money all his life. Jesus has lunch with him, and he says, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he says, he stood up and said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it. Fourfold. That's not a tie. That's a 50%-ish plus. Okay? Extraordinary. And he does it joyfully. Not under obligation, but he does it joyfully. Here's a thought. Randy Elkhorn says, Why do we assume that an increase in income should automatically lead to an increase in lifestyle. Why do we assume that the more we make, the bigger the house, the better the car? Why not assume God has provided for me very well and whatever increase could be for the kingdom? See, the American dream mindset says the more I make, the more I'm entitled to spend on myself. But the person with the gift of giving says, no, God's blessed me so I can expand the kingdom. Right? One pastor I heard said, pastors, don't be afraid to make the big ask. You've got to be careful how you say that, okay? In other words, don't be afraid to challenge people to use that gift. First of all, to step up and... and um, be responsible to, to tithe, okay? And don't be afraid to encourage those who God may, may have given a million dollars just sitting in the bank. Is he asking you to give that to the church or to the kingdom in some way to expand the kingdom? And I'm not up here being a, a money-grubbing. I, I'm just standing here in place of God Encouraging you to realize that he has given you gifts that need to be used. You know, I started by saying that when you discover your gift, there's a joy 
in not only discovering it, but in using it. Remember, Eric Little, who was an uh, Olympic runner for England, and um, his sister uh, said, come on, Eric, don't be, don't be uh, obsessed with your athletics. He's made you a Christian. And then Eric Little said, yes, but he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I want you to feel that pleasure of discovering your gift and serving with your gift that only comes when you use it. All right, let's pray. Worship team, come on up.